Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Rubin. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm really excited for our guest this week. His name is Harrison Kim. He's the CEO of PaveStep which is an intuitive performance management solution for businesses and teams. And what PaveStep does is it helps managers and employees share feedback and manage objectives more effectively. So in this week's episode, Harrison and I kind of dig into some common mistakes that managers make, performance management, engagement, especially in a remote environment. And Harrison has some really, really interesting insights and takeaways that I think you all are really going to enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome, Harrison. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Doing well. I'm glad we can meet again. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to those who listen to kind of hearing your perspective. But before we get into the questions, I'd love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Great. So my name is Harrison Kim, and I'm the CEO of PaveStep. Uh, PaveStep is an intuitive performance management solution. Our software and workshops help managers and employees share better feedback with each other, manage objectives and goals easily, and streamline painful performance reviews. I'm calling from beautiful and less hectic New York City today. Um, it's starting to get a little cold, so I've got to warm up a little bit. Yeah, get ready for the snow on Wednesday. Yeah, I hear it's coming, a big one. Oh, it's it's going to be a big, I can't wait. Not that there's anywhere to go or avoid going, but I personally will make sure that I get to walk in the snow because it's going to be my my moment of happiness for the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm originally from Canada, so snow kind of reminds me of home sometimes. Oh, um, that's we'll nice. see. Yeah. Wow. Well, we love a Canadian friend. Um, I always <laughs> I always tell my Canadian employees that they're our friends, our friendly neighbors of, of the North. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're included in that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bit about yourself and what you do. I'd love to hear your perspective on what some common mistakes are uh, made by managers when it comes to managing employee performance. Absolutely. So I think I often see a few things. One, managers don't clearly define or outline what quote unquote performance means. Whether you define performance as specific metrics using you know, OKRs or KPIs and or specific competencies or behaviors, defining performance is often something that gets overlooked. Managers just assume that their employees know how performance is defined, and yet when you ask them, you know, they themselves often can't really define it clearly. Uh, so when you don't clarify, right, people tend to clock in, clock out, and crank it away in their jobs without actually understanding whether they're doing well or not. So that's, I think, a very common first mistake that I see. Secondly, they don't provide enough feedback, especially when it comes to development or growth-oriented feedback, because they're scared of offending or confronting their team members. While I absolutely realize that feedback isn't always easy, right? And it takes real time and practice to get better at it. I think most managers really, really underestimate how much feedback their team members mm -hmm. want, positive or negative, especially with high performers. Um, so that's something for managers to think about is how they can really incorporate feedback in their day-to-day -day life. And lastly, I think managers don't take the time to document performance in a systematic way. 
And this is not just managers. It's really a lot of, you know, most employees, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this becomes a big, big problem because it's just simply difficult to remember any of this stuff, right? We all have busy lives, both professional and personal. And it's just difficult to remember what three, four or five of your direct reports have done in the last quarter, let alone six months or 12 months, right? And you have to have some kind of structure or process so that you can document this stuff in real time and minimize recency biases when it comes to, you know, your end of year or six month uh, review cycle. Absolutely. Those are the three things that I see. Moving, moving from that, in terms of the actual managing of performance, a lot of that often relies on real-time observations in order for us to deduce how an employee is performing. Yeah. So what are some things that managers can do to most effectively uh, evaluate performance from home? Yeah, so I'm going to take your question and answer it a little bit differently. So I personally don't think that transition from office to home should have too much impact on performance evaluation. I do think it's different, that's for sure, but I don't think it's inherently changed how we assess performance. And let me explain a little bit. So back in the office, right, most managers were or thought they were, or at least they should have been evaluating performance based on things like OKRs and competencies and behaviors like we discussed. In other words, you're looking at what people are achieving and how they're achieving them, simply. In the work-from-home environment, most managers should still be evaluating performance on those things, right? What people are achieving and how they're achieving them. You just do it more through Zoom or whichever new tool you use instead of in person. I think many managers have found it difficult to, quote-unquote, evaluate performance in this remote environment, largely because, one, they felt like they had more visibility and better pulse on people's day-to-day in person, meaning they, you know, being in person makes them more feel connected, uh, get better visibility, understand them more closely. So that's number one. Or two, they weren't doing a good job of assessing performance in the first place, but thought they were because they could see the butts and seats, right? So these two things sound similar, but they are different. Uh, First one, I'm referring to the fact that you feel more comfortable because you see your people, you feel more productive, you have a closer bond, and you're assessing performance using what we talked about and layering in this more natural interaction in person to support your assessment. While there may be some biases that creep in here, this is totally understandable, right? Managing performance becomes a bit harder because you have little less data set or data set that you're used to in the remote environment. So that's kind of, I think, a a good problem to have or a a problem that you're probably going to have. The second one, unfortunately, is just managers who don't define and track performance clearly um, and often view FaceTime as their go-to metric intentionally or unintentionally uh, for performance evaluation. And for these managers, you know, they were really never assessing performance properly in the first place. So, I'm, and this is a pretty long answer, but you know, said another way, right? It's not like you're looking at your direct reports, computers, and mouse movements in the office. Hopefully, right? That's not how you right, should. Right. So, being at home versus being in the office shouldn't completely change the way you evaluate performance. I think the the process is a little bit different, but the core shouldn't change that much. So, I would answer your question slightly differently, right? Like, what can managers do to evaluate performance? Period. And I think the answer is actually pretty similar to the last answer, right? Yeah. One, you know, d- you know, define performance clearly Two, have frequent touch points and three document everything in real time so that you can be as accurate as possible. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it definitely does. I, I agree with you. I like the, 
the perspective and and kind of the spin that you put on it that actually the only thing that's different is that we're not sitting in an office together and we're sitting at home or wherever we're working from in order to you know deliver on whatever it is that our roles require and i i really like the perspective too on what managers can do to evaluate performance not that looking at it differently is the focus, but actually the focus is to actually evaluate performance and to do that consistently, whether you're working from home or not. And actually as an employee, one of the reasons why I really like to work remotely is because there's not that pressure of, is my manager watching every move that I make? (laughs) Even though my boss like totally is not a micromanager and, and doesn't do that. I always like, that's just that's like one of my neuroses, right? It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. who's watching every move that I make? So I, I think that that's, a, to your point, that's one of the benefits, but also one of the reasons why it doesn't really change the way that we evaluate performance. Because if a manager is going to micromanage or if a manager is going to be more hands-off, they're going to do that regardless. Yeah. I mean, the analogy or the exact parallel in the remote work environment is like, are you on Slack or are you on Teams, right? And I know, right, right, and I know managers, you know, some managers kind of care about that. And like from personal experience of talking to my, you know, friends and partners. So, you know, those habits Mm -hmm. will, you know, find their ways to be present in the remote environment. (laughs) Totally, I love that. So thinking about one of the challenges with the remote environment that I think is unique to being remote is really around performance linked with engagement. Um, Mm. I think engagement has taken the hardest hit probably when it comes to a more remote workforce. So knowing that performance and engagement are closely related, um, but remaining engaged during this time, as we know, has, has been a proven challenge. Do you have any advice for managers who are struggling with employee engagement Yeah. So, I mean, this is the billion dollar question. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of drivers of engagement and the effectiveness of these drivers will depend a lot on employees' preferences as well, I think, and just the situation overall. But I'll talk about kind of one driver that is often talked about, but I think sometimes not used in the best way, um, autonomy. And this is one of my personal frameworks. So I would actually love to get your thoughts on it as well. So many, many people talk about autonomy and it being an important part of employee engagement. And I 100% agree. But I think autonomy works when there are certain conditions met. I think you need clarity, capability, and capacity. So what I mean by that is, I think autonomy is powerful, and it's a powerful driver of employee engagement if the employee has clarity on what needs to be accomplished or the overall purpose, has the capability or potential capability to execute, and has the capacity or the resources to actually execute it. If employees lack any of these three three things meaningfully, I think they end up spinning their wheels and actually really suffering. Um, And this is something that I've personally observed over and over in my previous roles and previous lives. Um, So in short, for managers, I think I would suggest really consider those three things, clarity, uh, clarity, capability, and capacity before simply giving quote unquote autonomy, you know, letting people do whatever they want to do. (laughs) I completely agree. As someone who like literally only wants to be autonomous ever, uh, I think that that's a a really good point because actually the only reason why I'm able to be autonomous is because of all of those things. If I was new in my role or new to the company, 
autonomy is not the goal. Autonomy is the goal long-term, but not something that my boss should give me if I'm new in role or new to the company. Because in terms of even competence, you're not totally competent in your role when you're brand new or when you're starting fresh in a new company. And a lot of the leadership trainings that I've taken, completed over the course of my career, always talk about strategizing how you lead your employees And Mm -hmm. that when someone is new in their role or new to a company, they're actually starting out as though they basically have blinders on and have no idea what's going on because they have to develop that, that clarity, for example, in their role and also what's expected from them. And when I think of autonomy linked with engagement, actually too much autonomy in a remote workforce is potentially, you know, a place where there can be degradation of the culture of the company. And it's really the reason why I ask you that question is because in my company right now, it's one of the biggest challenges I think that we have facing our remote workforce, which maybe 30% of our employees are remote because the rest are in the field and working in our stores since we're a retail organization. But it's, it's been a real challenge to keep the culture and the momentum of the culture alive while people are spread super thin and right. there are new challenges and we're, you know, we're, we're all remote. So I, I, I definitely uh, can see your point on autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. And just from a, I guess another angle too, I have found that some people actually don't, don't even like autonomy. <laughs> they want to be kind of handheld and mm. you know, be paired up or be coached very, very closely. I don't want to say micromanage, but I have seen those people as well and worked with those people and they can be effective. Um, you know, but autonomy just isn't one of the drivers that uh, lets them to be effective. Um, it's true. So, so yeah, I've seen that as well. Yeah. I think it's those, those individuals who are really looking for a specific framework in their role and, and, don't necessarily want to be the one making the final decision, but want to make sure that they're making the right decision. Um, and there, there's definitely room for those types of leaders or individuals in an organization. Yeah. As far as advice goes, because I'm asking you for a lot of your tips and tricks that I think the listeners will <laughs> be excited about. This is about. everything I know. <laughs> it's your, yeah, right. It's I'm your putting advice. everything on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, just so you know, you have an advice column on my podcast now. Um, so what advice do you have for employees who are starting new roles remotely? Um, is there any advice that you have for managers related to onboarding these new hires as well? Yeah, I think this is kind of, I'm going to give a more or less the same answer for both sides, but for employees, spend the time and meet as many people as possible, you know, whether it's 10, 15 minutes per person, you know, I think that's even, even that's just more than enough. Uh, You know, try to get a better feel of the work culture and start creating connections throughout the organization. I think one of the biggest challenges in the remote environment is that it's difficult to create organic relationships in the workplace because you're not in person together. You're not grabbing coffee. You're not doing like team activities or grabbing lunch together. Um, so I think you should really put the effort in doing that. And cause that's how you're going to really build your network in your organization and, you know, start pulling these resources whenever you need them. Right. And for managers, kind of the same thing, right? I would suggest proactively creating these opportunities for the employees so that they can connect with people across the organization. Um, and if you don't have capacity or the network, you know, ask for support from your HR teams or talent teams. Um, I think, you know, that would be something that would be really valuable for the employees uh, who are in you. That's great. 
I, I can't imagine being someone who's starting fresh in a brand new company where you haven't even met your supervisor in person. <laughs> it's like a totally uh, overwhelming thought. You yeah. know, it's like you enter, normally people look for companies that are aligned with their values. And it's really hard, I imagine, to yeah. figure out if you're actually moving into an, a role or a company that provides that. But I also playing devil's advocate with my own with my own perspective there. If someone's lost their job, they have no other option. They're going to take a job if it comes right. to them. And so hopefully it turns out to be exactly what they want it to be. And I guess moving moving on from that, do you have any predictions on how working remotely will change the future of working after the pandemic, which hopefully ends January 1st? That would be my goal. <laughs> it's like if we can just close 2020. Um, but yeah, do you, have, do you have any predictions on that, especially um, considering employee demand for flexible scheduling probably coming out of this? Yeah, I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking here, but I do think many organizations will be utilizing like a hybrid model, right, Mm -hmm. of working from home as well as working in the office for their employees. I think 2020 has made it pretty clear that while work from home is amazing for some people in certain aspects, it's not so amazing for some people in other aspects. Um, And I think this will become more and more of an important factor for employees criteria when joining an organization, right? I mean, in 2019, for most roles anyway, it was almost unthinkable to work for an organization full-time on a salary basis and live in eight different cities uh, at the same time or right. eight different countries at the same time. Now, it might actually become a real driver of job satisfaction for some people because it's become such a quote-unquote normal thing to do in 2020 anyway. Um, so yeah, again, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but uh, I think that's probably going to be what's happening for most companies. But the one area I am actually really interested to see is the impact on salaries and wages. Mm. You know, traditionally, NYC, Bay Area, and other major cities typically provided higher compensation than other smaller cities. I'm curious to see how this will play out as you know more and more companies become quote unquote truly remote. Yeah. Um, what that's gonna, how that's gonna play out. Well, that's a really compelling point. And it reminds me of an article, I think it was in the New York Times, that came out in the spring when Twitter decided, it might have been the spring, spring or summer, I'll link it in the episode details once I find it, where Twitter announced that they were going 100% remote. And there was a discussion around how individuals would be paid and whether they're keeping their salaries, are they going to adjust their their compensation practices to consider where the person works or lives, I should say, considering everyone will be 100% remote. That is a really compelling point. And I'd be interested to see how that plays out too. And I mean, maybe there's someone doing research on that now. I'm sure there are. I mean, if you think about you know, pay for performance or pay for value and mm. equity. Like, how do you really define that when everyone's remote, right? Because, right. um, you know, that kind of conflicts with, uh, you know, living expense adjustments, if you will. Right, the in, cost in of living increase we all look <laughs> right. forward to. <laughs> um, so that's going to be kind of an interesting area um, to see and see how that plays out. And actually, the last thing I'll mention, uh, this kind of triggered something, um, and I do think something will change pretty dramatically is the importance of uh, defining and documenting performance. And I know I've talked about this a few times, but given the remote environment, as well as just the recent focus, uh, even heavier focus on unjust terminations, 
I think companies should really start thinking about, you know, if they're not already defining and documenting performance, even simply from a legal perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect that's going to become a hotter topic over the over the next several years. I think you're right. We, when I think of documentation, I always think about, okay, if we were to be subpoenaed, this document needs to be able to stand up in court. And that's just based on the training that I've had. But to your point, especially considering pay for performance, you know, people, first of all, pay is extremely litigious because, you know, there are discrimination cases around pay. There's, there's, you know, a, a focus on the gender gap and all of those things when it comes to pay equality or equity. But then when you consider how that could change with the focus on pay by performance or based on performance, you're absolutely right that that documentation is going to be much more scrutinized, I'm sure. And in a way, maybe it will actually improve the way in which managers hold their mm, employees fair. accountable and, and manage performance because yeah. there's not going to be an option. Right. Not that there's ever an option, but... <laughs> right, right. You kind of have to do it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, now you really have to do it. Like I told right. you before that you have to, but now you really have to. Right, right. Well, that's that's perfect. I, I appreciate the, the compelling... Um, you know, takes that you've provided and the insight that you've shared. I'm sure that everyone listening to this episode is really going to appreciate, especially that last point, but your take on performance management. So um, to close out our conversation today, where can the listeners connect with you and find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they can find me on LinkedIn at Harrison Kim. Also, you can find a lot of cool podcasts and blogs on everything related to people. Uh, Tracy, you were on one of them uh, on our website, pavestep.com, P-A-V-E-S-T-P.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing us uh, all the secrets and the tips that you have. That's, again, that's all I have. So <laughs> <laughs> He lets it all on the table. Exactly. Thank you so much for awesome. having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed all of Harrison's insights and thoughts. I will link all of the places where you can listen to Harrison's podcast or connect with him in the episode description. So definitely be sure to take a look and connect with him. And as always, you can connect with me on Instagram at hrtracy, that's H-R-T-R-A-C-I. You can send me an email at podcast at hrtracy.com, connect with me on LinkedIn or connect with me anywhere else. So definitely take a look at the episode descriptions for all of those links and I will see you and speak to you next week. Mm